Before we begin today's episode of Skincare School, we acknowledge First Nations people as the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia. We recognise and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future whose lands were never ceded. Welcome back to another season of Skincare School. I'm Amy Clark and I'm joined by science educator, chemistry PhD and cosmetic chemist Michelle Wong, aka Lab Muffin Beauty Science. This week on Skincare School, there is a big focus on hydration. So on average, Asian skin is a little bit more prone to losing water. The sort of hydrating toner has been a thing for a long time where the toner is actually another delivery vehicle for your standard actors and also it adds a lot of hydration to the skin. There are also things like essences, which are pretty much like a lightweight serum. Again, it sort of just preps the skin for the next step. There's a lot of prepping going on. Hydrocolloid bandages. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with pimple patches. Don't have to do all 10 steps to get into Korean skincare. In reality, most Korean women do not do 10 steps every night. Snail was a really big thing in Korean skincare maybe four, five years ago. It's become less of a thing now, but it is still really good. A lot of people still swear by it. I'm really excited about today's topic because this is one that I wanted to cover in season one, but we just had so much to get through that it was like, okay, we can't do it all, but we can do it today in our deep dive. And that is on K and J beauty. And for anyone that might not be aware, that stands for Korean and Japanese beauty, but specifically skincare. And this is not a new skin category. It might be new to you if you're listening, but it is one of the fastest growing skincare categories at Adore Beauty, but also just in Australia generally. So Michelle, can you break down, I guess, how Korean or Japanese skincare is different to more mainstream, quote unquote, skincare categories? Well, I guess the biggest difference is obviously it's made in an Asian country and their target market has traditionally been Asian skin. So East Asian skin, there's a few differences. And I think the biggest differences are probably firstly, there is a big focus on hydration. So on average, Asian skin is a little bit more prone to losing water. And also in East Asian countries, there's a lot of air conditioning and there's been a lot for a long time. So there's a lot of focus on getting that water back into the skin. You have very lightweight textures that just infuse water back in. The other big thing is that how Asian skin ages is quite different from how Western skin ages. With Western white skin, the main way that it ages is with texture. So you get more wrinkles and fine lines. Whereas with Asian skin, there's this meme which all my friends kept sending to me, which is the aging process of an Asian woman. And it's like, you look the same from like, 20 until 40 and then suddenly menopause hits and you turn into this like shrunken woman with curly hair and like a fat puffer jacket and then you shrink into this tiny like short Asian woman with like a bun. Yeah the main way we age isn't so much wrinkling but more with pigment changes and uneven skin tone. So there's a lot of focus on evening out skin tone and dealing with pigment. There's so much like history and research and cultural influences that go into the Korean and Japanese skincare approach 
approach. The focus on hydration in the skin barrier and kind of that skin barrier first approach to skincare. As we spoke about in episode five, the skin barrier, so important. If your barrier is effed, you're not really going to achieve the results that you want from your skincare. So that's what I personally love about Korean and Japanese skincare. But there are some key differences in terms of the types of products. So can you kind of explain some of those different types of products that people might see in a Korean or Japanese skincare routine? Yeah, so I guess in a more Western routine, we kind of think of cleanser, then like sometimes a harsh toner, serum, cream. But in Korean skincare, there's like a lot of other steps that they insert between these. So I guess first off, toners in Western skincare, they used to be really stripping, full of alcohol, really like punch you in the nose, make your skin feel tight. And if it's tight, that's good. It hurts a little bit. And then you move on to your next step. So like you said, there's a bit less of that pain is good attitude to skincare. So The sort of hydrating toner has been a thing for a long time where the toner is actually another delivery vehicle for your standard actors and also it adds a lot of hydration to the skin. There are also things like essences, which are pretty much like a lightweight serum. Again, it sort of just preps the skin for the next step. There's a lot of prepping going on. Ampules are usually considered more concentrated serums. They usually come in like a smaller pack. Sometimes it's like a single use. Sometimes it's like, it's just usually smaller. I guess very generally speaking, the order of concentration is usually like toners are the weakest then you have essences and then serums and then ampules are generally considered more concentrated yeah there's like a lot of different names as well sometimes you see lotion i think this is a bit less common now but back in the day a lotion was actually rather than a moisturizer cream sort of texture it was more watery it was like a heavy toner so yeah lots of different textures but then also gel moisturizers hydrocolloid bandages oh my gosh I'm obsessed with pimple patches can you just explain a little bit probably better than I can how they actually work yeah so hydrocolloid bandages are like little stickers made of it feels like gelatin almost they're translucent so you can see through them and what they have is they have like a plastic layer and then underneath they have this absorbent sugar-based layer. And so when you stick that on your skin, that sugar-based layer is on your skin and it can absorb any sort of water. It's almost like those silica gel packs that you get with supplements. Yeah, so it absorbs it and sucks the gunk out of your pores. And it's also waterproof. So it seals the moisture into your skin, almost like an occlusive moisturizer, if you remember from season one. And that actually helps wounds heal faster. This is a bit recent, I guess. Like we used to always try to dry out wounds but now they've discovered that if you keep it moist, then it actually heals faster and better with less scarring. Yeah, I swear by these and they're very affordable. One thing you hear about Korean skincare, for example, is this whole idea of the 10-step routine. We're going to go through what those 10 steps are, but in our production doc, I saw when I was having a look, you wrote 10-step routine is a lie. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean it's a lie? Can you explain what you meant by that? I guess there's this sort of trope going around, which is like, you know, every night Korean women go through all of these 10 steps and this is how you get beautiful, non-aging, 
Asian skin. And I guess first off, the main reason why Asians don't age is just genetics. Or it's not like we don't age, we just look different. We go through a different <laughs> journey towards our, you know, yeah, our suddenly menopause hits and then we shrink into a tiny woman. Yes. It's not just to do with the skincare routine, although there is a much stronger skincare culture, I guess. So yeah, you don't have to do all 10 steps to get into Korean skincare. In reality, most Korean women do not do 10 steps every night. You do not have to follow all the steps in the flowchart. It's just a good guide for where each step actually goes because yeah, there's tons of different product types. They all have different names. There's just a lot of steps and it's difficult to work out where they go. And that sort of infographic is more of a guide rather than you must go on this journey. And if you do it wrong, you will ruin your whole routine. That's just not a thing. Totally. And I guess, and that's good because 10 steps, I mean, who has time, Mm -hmm. but let's go through the 10 steps just for anyone that might like to, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, maybe you do want to do a bit of a 10 step routine. So first of all, a balm or oil cleanser. So that's the, I guess what we've now popularized as the double cleanse to break down oily substances on the skin, like sunscreen, makeup, even debris, that kind of thing. And then the second step is usually a water-based cleanser, the second step of the double cleanse. So it could be gel, it could be foaming cream, milky, whatever cleanser suits your skin type but we're always double cleansing especially if we're wearing sunscreen or makeup and then third step can be an exfoliant so it could be a physical exfoliant like a more of that manual fine scrub you would definitely not see one of those harsh nutty particle scrubs in a korean skincare routine it's still all very focused on maintaining the barrier could also be a chemical exfoliant enzyme or even that peeling gel style so you might do that and you also might not do that every night you might bring in that step a couple of nights a week then we've got a toner or a face mist essences so hydrating do you really need a toner and an essence look that's that whole comes back to that thing of take the steps that you like and the things that suit your skin the types of products you like and also just how much you can be bothered and a lot of the times too some of these steps can even be condensed into the one product ampule serum sheet mask what do you think michelle like where would you do a sheet mask before or after your serums So I used to always think that it made more sense before the serums because you kind of have it on your face and then you take it off. So it felt like I was taking off my lower layers. But what I guess the logic is with the sheet mask later is that the sheet mask acts like an occlusive and pushes your lower layers deeper in. And so by the time you take it off, the lower layers have sunken in. And yeah, if you leave it on for 15 minutes, most things do absorb quickest at the start and then they taper off, which is also why things like short contact therapy, which is where you put on a retinoid and then wash it off after 15 minutes. That's why that still works really well. That's why you can deliver actors through a cleanser. So yeah, my my mind has changed now. I can understand the logic. Mm. Then we've got step eight, which is some kind of eye product. Step nine is got like, yeah, like layering different types of moisturizers, I guess. So you can have like your moisturizer and then you can have a thicker sleeping mask, night cream, face oil. So that's kind of like a 10 step routine. Should anyone be interested in giving it a go? I guess in Western skincare, you'd think about it as what you'd consider an at-home facial style thing where you're just kind of putting more time into your skin, but definitely not something that anyone needs to do or needs to do every bloody night because yeah 
Ain't nobody got time for that. We also need to talk about the ingredients that you'll commonly find in Korean and Japanese skincare because there's some that are, I guess, different or alternative to the kinds of active ingredient names that you might be familiar with in cosmeceutical skincare. So run me through the list of some of the ones that we'll find. I guess we'll start with the ones that you don't really find. Like, I guess with Western skincare, we usually think of retinoids. Retinoids are a relatively new thing in Korean skincare. Chemical exfoliants, they usually aren't very strong. There are some salicylic acid-based products, but usually they use a gentler version. And there's a bit of lactic acid, but again, it's not a real big focus. Now, niacinamide is getting really popular in Western skincare, and it actually was a big thing in Asian skincare before it came over here. Mmm, I didn't know that. Mm, yeah, so niacinamide is really good for evening out skin tone and also helping support the skin barrier, which we talked about last season. I think we had half an episode on just niacinamide yes, and panthenol, which are vitamin B. There's also, of course, a whole bunch of trendy ingredients. So just like with Western skincare, Korean skincare also goes through trends. Not all of it is like amazingly evidence-based, which is another one of those myths where, you know, Korean women are just more wise about skincare. So some of these trendy ingredients are snail. Snail was a really big thing in Korean skincare, maybe four, five years ago. It's become less of a thing now, but it is still really good. A lot of people still swear by it. So snail, it sounds really gross. What they do is they get the snails to crawl over some sort of fabric, essentially. There was a bit of controversy about whether or not it's ethical, but most snail essence manufacturers, they claim that the snails are very happy and relaxed and they make it sound like the snails are in like a spa. I don't think it's quite that nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're not there with like, you know, the aromatherapy music going on and little head wraps. They make it sound like they are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess you would expect that, right? But to my understanding with modern methods, the snails do not experience pain during this. They just crawl over this fabric and leave their little snail trail behind and then they rinse this off the fabric and that is your snail essence. And the theory is that little snail trail is like a nice luby cushion for the snail to crawl over and it also helps heal the snail a bit. So therefore it should also heal your skin. So in terms of the evidence, there is some evidence that it can help with evening out skin tone, also reducing the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. So it does a lot of stuff in the one product and also it's really hydrating. The reason it's so slimy is because there are these water retaining ingredients in the snail trail. I keep saying snail trail, but I should really say snail secretion filtrate, which is what you'll see on the bottles. The texture is something to get used to. Some people love the texture. If you rub it between your hands and then bring your hands out, you will get like the kind of like sticky, snotty. It's really like a texture to get used to. I personally, it's just like a little bit, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know about this on my face, but some people are obsessed with that textural feeling. Yeah. So other ingredients, there's a lot of herbal extracts. So centella is a big one. It was really big in Korean skincare, but it's actually been in some Western skincare products for a long time. They just never really talked about it. So if you see the word sicker, normally that means centella. So things like La Roche-Posay Sicker Plast actually has centella extracts in it, and that's a pretty old product. 
So Santella is kind of like a staple. There's also mugwort, which has gotten more popular. It's just another traditional Korean herb. It's got very similar properties to Santella, but it's trending a bit more at the moment. There's ginseng, which is a traditional herb that's been used in Asian medicine for a long time. It's a herb that looks a bit like ginger. It's like a root that's been dug up. It looks a little bit like a human sometimes. You see like little arms and like root legs. It's pretty cute. Oh, okay. (laughs) But yeah, ginseng is really good for things like, again, evening out skin tone, evening out skin texture. Along the lines of this whole like weird animal ingredients, propolis, it comes from bees. This is another big one. Propolis tends to be recommended for things like dealing with breakouts and acne. The idea is it's antioxidant and antimicrobial. In Asian skincare, if you're vegan, you probably should read through the ingredients list carefully because there are quite a few different animal products in Asian skincare. And yeah, some of the ones that have trended in the past are quite weird. So starfish extract was really big a while ago. Horse oil was also a really big thing. I think it might still be a big thing in some places. There's also been rice, which is, I guess, more of a Japanese skincare thing, but it is in a lot of Korean products as well. There's also microbiome prebiotic postbiotic that kind of stuff also comes into the korean and japanese approach because it is very barrier focused and so that's probably one of the aspects of korean and japanese skincare that has translated across to western skincare the most like you would hear a lot about your skin's microbiome and the good and bad bacteria and things like that So we've mentioned previously that with Korean and Japanese skincare, often products can be quite affordable, but there's a whole wide spectrum. You've got like super affordable, like you can get like a $2 sheet mask versus kind of that luxury Korean and Japanese skincare, which can be upwards of $300, $400 sometimes for like a cream in a really luxurious amber bottles and the, the packaging really weighty glass bottles and jars and little applicators and things like this so it's definitely a wide spectrum of products to choose from so let's talk about our favorite korean and japanese skincare products i asked michelle to keep it to two to three faves because i've got a lot that i want to talk about so if you had to pick three which ones are you going with All right, this was really hard. I had to take out a lot of products because, yeah, I love Japanese and Korean skincare. I've been using it for so long. So I picked Cosrx Snail Mucin Essence. This product, I have seen it go viral on every platform over the years. So I think I first saw it go viral on Reddit in like 2013 or something. And then it went viral on Instagram. And then recently it went viral on TikToks. Yeah, every generation finds this product and it's like the hot new thing and it's like guys it's been around for ages it's just super hydrating so i think people who had dehydrated skin just suddenly saw their skin smooth out and just really get that sort of dewy glassy kind of glow the other one i picked was the i'm from rice cream this is a moisturizer that just has a really lovely texture it's really good because It has that sort of nourishing glide, but you end up with a sort of satiny finish, which is just so rare for someone with oily skin. And I think it's because of that rice. There's a bit of that sort of starch, translucent powder effect at the end. And rice is also meant to be tone brightening and hydrating. And my third pick was the Sulwasu First Care Activating Serum. So Sulwasu, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. Yeah, it could be Suwasu. I think, you know, it's one of those potato, potato mm-hmm. kind of thing. 
But yeah, what do you love about this particular product? So this brand is like a cult brand in Asia. But one of the really cool things about Korean skincare is that the Korean government actually invests a lot into it. And so Korean brands have a lot of resources to do research compared to Western brands where the government is not investing in skincare here. Something for the government to have a think about, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So Sawasu is this cult brand and they're based on traditional Korean medicinal herbs, which is called Hanbang. It's always in the list of you know top whatever products as voted by Korean consumers. It's a bit more of a luxury brand. And as I've gotten older and gotten out of that kind of student budget, I've really started to appreciate it. I used to think it was really overrated, but it is just so beautiful and luxurious. And yeah, the textures are lovely. So the First Care Activating Serum is probably their most universally loved product. It's probably not the strongest product, but it is just a really good starting product, solid. It's a first essence, which is one of those ones that you put on and it preps your skin for later steps. And it just helps sort of suck in the later steps into your skin. And you'll find that it helps with brightness and it also helps support the barrier and make it more resilient. So, okay, some other ones that I love. And I am sorry that I had to make you choose <laughs> between your favorites. Yeah, so the first product I want to talk about is the Laneige Cream Skin. So I love the mist version because I just love the convenience of a mist. But the product also comes, the, the original version of it is this Cream Skin toner and moisturizer. This is when you're thinking about the types of words that are in the names of Korean skincare products. Same with the Suwasu, the first activating serum is not really what you'd think of an active serum. It's more of that essence as you described. And so this product, it looks milky in the bottle. Like you could be forgiven for thinking that it was a bottle of milk. And it is that really hydrating, moisturizing, thin toner product. You can either swipe it over the skin. You can put some kind of in your palm um, and then kind of pat it into the skin or the mist if you're lazy like me. Look, I've talked about pimple patches to death. The Cosrx Acne Pimple Master Patch, Some By Me, the 30 Days Miracle Clear Spot Patch too. That whole range actually, it's like the 30 day kind of again went viral on TikTok. So I think Skin by Hiram talked about this range, the AHA BHA, PHA, Miracle 30 Day range. It comes in like a body cleanser. There's a cream, there's a serum, there's cleanser. The whole range is great for that kind of blemish prone skin. Also has that tea tree smell. So it is kind of reminiscent. It takes me back to being a teenager when you were like using tea tree oil on your pimples or all of those kinds of products had that scent. Another one that my partner actually loves is the Cosrx Low pH Good Morning Gel Cleanser. I think Korean and Japanese skincare just nails the gel textured products. This cleanser also comes in a gel peeling version. Gives you that feeling of uh, the freshness that comes with a gel foaming cleanser but not stripping so it's really well balanced and as it says in the name low ph one product in particular that i have been loving is the innisfree retinol sicker repair ampule so it's a retinol serum 
but as we kind of talked about before, it has that sticker in the name and it basically it's a molecule and it's containing ceramides, the centella asiatica and the industry like jeju hyaluronic acid and it helps to just make the retinol serum more tolerable for sensitized skin. It's a very reasonably priced retinol product, great for beginners. Harder Labo is a Japanese brand that you can actually only get it in Australia at Adore Beauty. I've spoken about the number one super hydrator that sells one every two seconds around the world or something like that. But the underrated product for oily skin havers or if you're looking for a summer moisturizer, the Intense Hydrating Skin Plumping Gel kind of says it all in the name. It is like a a gel cream packed with their hyaluronic acid complex that they use in this brand. It's just going to really like flood the surface layers of the skin with hydration to give you that instant like bouncy plumping effect. It is very lightweight though. So like absolutely not nourishing enough for my dry skin. I feel like my skin drinks that up in like two seconds. It's like, yep, I'm ready for my next glass of water. Like I need something more comforting, but this is great for oily skin havers in summertime. The real cult product is probably the concentrated ginseng renewing cream that is always on the top list. Every Korean beauty influencer who's tried it mentions that it is just such a lovely product. Highly recommended. I have been using it for the last probably month and it's just a beautiful experience. And then in terms of how to actually add these products You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I feel like I want to give H&J beauty products a try, how would you recommend adding them into your routine? Because probably what we've already discussed is like picking and choosing which ones are going to slot in or suit your specific skin type or skin concerns, right? Yeah, so I would just recommend slotting them in into your current routine because one of those really big advantages that we mentioned before is that it is really lightweight layers and they're kind of designed to work well with other products. So you'll rarely get things like pilling and those sorts of issues that you often get when you try to layer too many things because, yeah, that is how they were designed. So maybe just have a look at that 10-step routine, see what you have, and then just slot it into the appropriate spot. I also love just a final tip, someone who I feel like gives such great examples of how to incorporate Korean and Japanese skincare products into, I guess, a more of a Western cosmeceutical active or French pharmacy skincare routine is Amelia Simpson. She posts her morning and evening kind of skincare lineups. And I love seeing it's always such a broad range of products. You'll have like your Cephalolic serum, but then you'll also have, yeah, like a Laneige or an Innisfree or Cosrx Korean products in there too with like a La Roche-Posay, really good mix of high and low. So go and follow Amelia Simpson on Instagram for some of those kind of examples about how you can fit K&J Beauty into your routine. So I feel like the person that sent this question in, they and I might be in a fight because this person wants to know if face mists are a waste of money. So here is the question. Are face mists a waste of money or do they actually have a place in a routine? I just want to hear your thoughts straight off the bat, Michelle, because I know what I think on this topic. I think it entirely depends on the mist because a mist is really just a different vehicle for ingredients. Like it's just like a serum or a toner or a cream. It depends on what's actually in it and what you want out of it. So yeah, it's 
<laughs> very non-committal, inoffensive answer. But yeah, there's lots of upsides to mist and downsides as well. So I guess like the biggest upside is that it's really lightweight. You can apply it over makeup without disturbing anything. It's pretty quick to apply and it feels really nice. The obvious downside is that if you have hair like mine, if you've got a fringe, then you'll probably spray your fringe and mess that up. The other downside, which I don't think gets mentioned a lot, is that some ingredients just don't work well in a mist. So I think a lot of us have probably experienced this. You get a mist and you mist it on your face and it's the first time you've used it. And instead of a mist, it comes out as a jet and you get yourself in the eye. Yeah, exactly. It literally is like a camel spit in the eye. Totally been there. And the other thing too is in terms of if mists are a waste of money, it's kind of like if you're using an active mist, so say like you're using an antioxidant mist or a vitamin C mist and you're wanting that to be like the primary source of vitamin C or antioxidants in your routine, then probably your money would be better spent having that product as a serum where it's like more even contact with the skin or things like that. So it totally does come down to like, what are you expecting from this mist? What about the benefit in terms of, you know, applying a mist kind of step before serums for penetration? Like, is that a thing or is it kind of a a bit of a stretch? Well, like we said before, if you have really well hydrated skin, it tends to be more permeable. So the serum might get in a bit better, but I don't think a mist is necessarily better than just, you know, washing your face beforehand or even just like leaving the serum on for a bit and then maybe adding a second layer because there are so many things that can hydrate apart from just a mist. But if it works in your routine, if it's a product that seems to play well with your skin, then I think it is a really good option. Mm. And do you currently use a face mist Michelle or are you like is this like a a thing that you do when it's there I tend not to because of the fringe (laughs) to be honest oh yes Um, yeah (laughs) it's just I sacrifice so much for this fringe so that my forehead doesn't look like a five head love that okay well we all have our own beauty priorities and so I love using face mists and that's why I just didn't want to fight with the person that sent this question (laughs) in because I will go to bat for face mists, not necessarily because I think that they are like game changers for skincare. Sometimes it just comes down to what feels amazing, like what brings you joy, what makes you feel good, what your skin likes. My partner uses a face mist. So I got my partner onto a skincare routine. Congrats. His current routine. Yeah, thank you. It was really hard, but we got there. So he uses a cleanser, face mist, moisturizer, and sunscreen. The only reason that the face mist makes the cut is because he says it just feels really refreshing and it feels really nice. So at the end of the day, you got to do you. And if your budget allows it, and there are so many different face mist options, but I particularly love a face mist in summertime sprayed from the fridge. Putting skincare products in the fridge is a whole separate conversation, but I love putting a face mist in the fridge and then on a hot morning after you wake up if you're not going to have a shower in the morning. That's also another debate for another time. Misting and it's so refreshing. Also like throughout the day, if you're working in air con, like a really lovely fine mist can feel really beautiful over the top of makeup. In terms of recommendations... Aven Thermal Spring Water is kind of like an oldie but a goodie. I mean, it's literally thermal spring water. So it's not an essential, but it has a really fine kind of almost aerosolized mist. The Laneige Cream Skin Mist, the same. I'm obsessed with the actual, the misting 
of the applicator. This is like a make or break with face mists. Like the actual mist dispersion is really important. My partner's the, the mist in question is the Dermalogica Hyaluronic Ceramide Mist. My personal favorite mist that I use currently after cleanser and then before my vitamin C serum in the morning is the SkinCeuticals Phyto Corrective Essence Mist. So this one is actually listed as a bit more of like an active mist because it's got the phyto corrective ingredient formula that they use in the mask and this matching serum and whatnot. To me, it smells a bit like a lamb roast. It's kind of like herbaceous. I love it. It comes in a glass bottle though. And anyone that's smashed a skincare product that's in glass will just understand the pain of when I dropped it in the sink and yep, the whole thing went down the sink. And final one that I'll recommend because it's a super popular one, both on the Adore Beauty website, but also I've seen people loving this one on Instagram is the Neod Superoxide Dismute Saccharide Mist. It kind of has this like aquary blue color to it. Neod is like the older sister brand of The Ordinary by Decium. Yeah, super popular mist. But So there's some options. Um, so short answer, if you're looking for ways to save in your routine, you definitely don't need a face mist. It's an easy money win there. But they do have a place in a routine depending on what your individual concerns or preferences are. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Skincare School. You'll find everything we spoke about referenced in the show notes. Got more skincare questions? Well, did you know that there's a whole team of experts and product specialists waiting to answer them on our Adore Beauty live chat? You can jump onto the adorebeauty.com.au website and chat to our team of real people in real time. And while you're there, tell us what you think, leave a review and a rating, and don't forget to tell everyone in your life about Skincare School. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe in your podcast app and you'll get a notification the second that our next episode drops. 